What's up, party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Indy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at Indy Nickerson on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter, either one or neither. Feel free. It's fine. This week's episode is on the Scarlet Slipper Mystery, which sounds like it's a new party drug. Have you tried Scarlet Slipper? It is fantastic. Uh, This is book 32 in the series, and we are in 1954 now? Yeah, we're in 1954, y'all. We are deep in the post-World War II period. There are TVs everywhere. Things are weird. The cover of this book is... I don't love it. I gotta be honest with you. I just don't love it. I actually like the revised version better, which has a lot of burgundy happening. I'm a fan of burgundy. Um, This one, as you can tell by Scarlet Slipper, you're like, is it gonna be ballet-related? And bitch, yes, it is. Um, So Nancy is on the cover, and she's one of three characters on the cover who is taking up slightly more space than them so that's appropriate she appears to be in some shack in the woods so apparently enemy of the show l ron hubbard has abducted her <laughs> he is enemy of the show forever now forever in our anti-hearts um so um she is they have not yet decided that she is reddish blonde even though in this one you could definitely say that she's got some blonde highlights with some reddish stuff happening but that could be due to lighting discrepancies um she is pointing with her well-manicured finger, at a scarlet ballet slipper, which does have some bearing on the mystery, but honestly, they, they could have chosen any random adjectives and nouns to go in this one. It's it's a weird one. It's fine. Uh, you can't even actually see what's in the painting, really. The wraparound cover shows a ballerina, but she's not really depicted with any sort of, uh, like, detail. Um, yeah, so Nancy's like, this slipper! Like, her mouth is agape. She's like, oh my god, I have to have this! It is the fashion accessory of the season. No, it's fine. Nancy is wearing a buttoned all the way up to her throat and beyond um, <laughs> red blouse, like, full with cuffs. Like, it, it definitely looks like it would feel really confining. It's fine, honey. With some sort of black skirt thing probably happening, we cannot see enough of her below the waist to know what, exactly what's happening there. She is accompanied by two generic white people. <laughs> No, it's fine. Um, Henry and Helene. Oh, yes. Every time I see Helene, I think of my least favorite monk of all time. Um, other than Rasputin. Um, anyway, so Henry is gazing intently at the painting, which he is purportedly the one who painted this bitch. And his sister, Helene, is also staring mouth agape at the image, which she posed for. So the... It doesn't make a lot of sense in context. He is wearing a plaid green shirt. He's got blonde hair. Can't really determine his eye color. Helene has got dark hair. So, well, at first glance, you might be like, is this George? But just she's she's trying some, a bang stitch, even though she's not got bangs in this. She's just got longer hair. And her hair is tied back with a yellow ribbon. She's wearing a yellow button-down shirt. She is wearing, like, formal-ass earrings, and she's got a bracelet on. Like, she looks like she's about ready to go out and maybe apply for some light clerical work. But she's wearing short sleeves, which seems far more sensible. Anyway, <clears throat> I... Uh, Despite the cover thing, I am going to say that this episode is dedicated to my, one of my writing besties, Little Miss Messy, who I was like, I'm almost certain that she told me that this was, if not her favorite, then one of her like top 10, because of course, anybody who is a deep, hardcore Nancy Nett enthusiast, Clue in the Diary is like way up there because that's the book where they met and it was super cute. And everybody was like, yes. 
this one has got all chock full of some Nancy Ned shit. So I was, and I'm not even actually sure that I'd ever read the original 25 chapter version. So when I was reading this, I was like, I am overwhelmed. This is fan-fucking-tastic. The mystery part, shut up. Nancy Ned, yes, yes, y'all doing some shit right. I don't even know who's responsible for this, but you did good work. So let's jump right in. Nancy is, as always, Nancy, real-life Disney princess, friend to all children and animals, is on her way back from New York because that is what she does. She just goes off to New York for reasons, even though in every book it's as though New York is both brand new to her and also a thing that she is deeply familiar with. So she's on a plane. Hilariously, they're like, it's a four-engine transport plane, and this guy across the aisle is like, son of a bitch, the the plane's gonna crash. And Nancy's like, only one of the engines has stopped. (laughs) Which I got, okay, between the two of them in this situation, while I am always best, I would have been the, we're going to crash dude, because holy shit, when an engine goes out on your plane, you should freak out. I'm just going to say it. She's like, it's going to be fine. It's, this is the end of all my work. My beloved Centrovia, which when I read this, I was like, okay, Ukraine. It's, I'm just going to substitute Ukraine at all points for that. It's going to be fine. Centrovia, cl- mm, okay. 1953. Again, like I said, we're deep post-World War II-ish. But um, later in the book, they refer to the fact that the Centrovia conflict apparently happened around eight years ago, which would be 1945. So it's, again, like World War II would have been very much in public consciousness at this point. But there's also like the sort of realignment of this. Centrovia is apparently like an Eastern European nation. Western European nation. They never actually fucking specify where the hell this place is. Um, But anyway, so it's Centrovia. The people from Centrovia are like white Europeans, so they blend in pretty well. Honestly, there's some xenophobia in this book, which, hi, it's a Nancy Drew book. There's going to be xenophobia, like uh, along with some fat shaming. But anyway, so he shook a fist as if at the pilot, then buried his face in his hands. And I'm like, that's the way to do it. Shake your fist as though at the pilot. Same at all times. Um, there were some people who get in the way. The guy quiets down. Nancy's like, see, it's fine. The The plane lands. She's like, that wasn't so bad. And so he gets up, um, grabs his briefcase out of the overhead compartment and just hauls ass. Nancy's like, this is fine. Nancy put on the jacket of her li- navy linen suit. I love that she's like, for traveling reasons, sweatpants are the worst. I don't actually even know when sweatpants would have been a thing. But anyway, it's fine. Um, Picked up her straw purse. I do love that the person who wrote this book saw the previous cover and was like, oh, shit, she's got a straw purse with an N on it. I'm going to need to throw that in here. And walked slowly to the door. She paused to tell the stewardess how much she had enjoyed the flight, which I love. It's it's a nice detail. Like, you did good work. Person who wasn't actually driving the plane, just just doing fantastic. Then hurried down the ramp where, of course, uh, Bess and George and gay cotton skirts and blouses. Do they need colors? Shut the fuck up. They're gay, okay? They're gay. Just imagine it. George was a girl of the tomboy type. Her dark hair was cut in a sleek bob, and she had a slender figure, much like Nancy's. We know where you're going here. George's pretty cousin Bess, on the other hand, was plump and worried continuously about her figure, which, again, like, I... There's a lot that I would love to, like, unpack about Nancy Drew books and their relationship with weight, but another time. Um, 
Nancy went, of course, to New York to visit Aunt Eloise. I don't know what Nancy would do if Aunt Eloise was like, I'm going to move to Alaska. She would be like, guess what, bitch? I'm going to come see you every fucking weekend. It's fine. Um, she saw three shows, uh, including a musical with Wonderful Dancing, and she told Bess that she would adore it, which sounds like maybe Bess is also planning a trip to New York, even though, anyway, it's fine. That's fine. <clears throat> Uh, Bess says that she has lost two pounds. There's a wonderful new dancing school in town, Nancy. All kinds of classes. I've joined one in reducing. So I guess a Zumba class or maybe some hot yoga. Um, Although I guess you don't really dance in yoga. I guess you just do poses. But anyway, it's fine. Um, The dancing school in question is owned by Helene and Henry Fontaine, who are depicted on the cover of this volume, um, who had recently come to River Heights from France and that they were exceptionally fine dancers as well as excellent teachers. Um, So as I said, Centrovia, but... it's kind of weird in the book like nobody seems to really know about Centrovia but there's also this undercurrent of of course like just violent xenophobia so France because of their alignment during World War II it seems like people are more comfortable in like identifying themselves as French which is what happened here like the two of them decided to say that they were from France because they did immigrate through France, but they're originally from Centrovia, she says, spoiling pretty much nothing. Um, before each lesson, Helene and Henry give a talk on the history of the dance, which I was like, cool? Uh, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's just to show how dedicated they are to it. But anyway, um, Bess apparently had lost her, left accidentally because she was on her way to pick up Nancy. She had accidentally left her purse at the dancing school, so... <clears throat> So Nancy takes her by there, um, and then Bess comes back very quickly, and Nancy's like, oh, I guess your purse wasn't there, and Bess is like, no, no, you got to come upstairs. So what happens is, when they walk in, because Bess says that apparently Henry and Helene seem very upset about something. Oh, I'm sorry, it's Henry with an I. Put a little heart over it, it's fine. Um, so Henry is a tall, handsome young man with blonde hair. He is leaning on an ivory and gold French provincial desk behind which his sister is seated. And I'm like, it's a new dancing school. It's a new dancing school that Nancy's never heard of before. She was not in New York for a year. Or maybe she was. No, no. she didn't have enough luggage. Um, uh, The room is spacious and beautifully furnished with gold chairs, deep blue drapes on the wall above the desk hung a pair of scarlet ballet slippers. And you're like, ah... Um, the building itself is an office building and the dancing school is the second floor of it. So anyway, so they've very well appointed this dancing school that they had, that has kind of sprung out of nowhere overnight. I've got a lot of questions about their funding. It's fine. Maybe there's some dark money involved. We don't know. Anyway, um, when they walk in, the two are talking to each other in French, which of course Nancy can understand. And she's like, no, we must flee again. And Nancy's like, um... So she says, um, can I help you? And Bess is like, Nancy's a detective. And Henry is like, a girl detective? You are very pretty and hardly look like a detective. Nancy laughed merrily. <laughs> That's my, the best thing about me. I don't look like a detective, do I? No, it's fine. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> they received a, an unsigned note with a pair of red ballet slippers drawn at the bottom. Just to make sure that it went to the right person. Um, it says, you will lose your lives if you do not leave this area at once. Do not communicate with any friends you have made in the United States. I was like, they're fair gaming them. L. Ron Hubbard, enemy of the show, L. Ron Hubbard is behind this at all times. Um, Helene says this is the second note that they've received like this. The first note they actually received in France 18 months earlier, and that caused them to flee. 
So she says that they're Centrovians. Um, and of course, Nancy has just heard the guy on the plane identify himself as a Centrovian. So she's like, ah, this is never a coincidence. If I find a bunch of refugees from my country, y'all all, all inter- interconnected somehow. Some of you gonna be villains. So um, the other note also said that the secret police in our native country was going to kidnap us and take us back there. And she's like, I'm afraid that that's what this one means. So, yeah, Nancy's like, what about the person who left the note? And no, they don't even know who left the fucking note. Of course they don't. They're like, Nancy's, Nancy's like, I saw a Centrovian. And they're like, what does he look like? He seemed very nervous and excitable, but mm, I mean, which is, I was like, I can't pick that out of a lineup, honey, unless they're like actively doing coke, but it's fine. So they do agree to let Nancy investigate, but they do say, don't tell anybody here that we're from, from Centrovia because things. Centrovia had been overrun by enemy forces. Many people had fled Due to the horrors of the occupation, many people had fled to other countries. This happened about eight years ago, the young man explained. Our parents were among those who found refuge in France. Our name was Provac. When we reached Paris, we changed it to Fontaine. Helene said, my parents, perhaps I should not tell you this, joined an organization which aimed to overthrow these new rulers of Centrovia, but both of them died before anything was accomplished. The red ballet slippers belonged to Helene's mother, who was a famous ballet dancer. Um, our mother's death was caused by worry. At the time we fled from Centrovia, another family asked us to take a fortune in jewels with us to be used in helping the underground movement. Unfortunately, the new ruler suspected this and thus might cause my parents a great deal of worry by accusing them of stealing the fortune and tried to make them reveal where it was. Helene says that they didn't steal it. The jewels were just sold to basically finance the... Whatever word you want to fill in there, huh? I guess it depends on which side you're on. Um, <clears throat> so, the work of freeing their people. So... Um, so that's what they're upset about. They, they don't know where the money, the jewels are, the money is, the, it all went to overthrowing the, the basically occupying forces. So, so yeah, Nancy's like, um, Helene's like, should we, should we leave? What should we do? And Nancy's like, let me talk to my lawyer father, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, who is an expert in all things legal, all things, all things legal. He's taken all the laws. He knows all of them. <clears throat> So the problem is, of course, that they have a dancing school and they've got people who they've promised to give lessons to and all sorts of things. And and Nancy's like, well, (coughs) surely they would not expect you to wind up your business on like a moment's notice. And I'm like, of course they fucking would. They don't give a fuck. But anyway, uh, Nancy's like, well, basically she tells them you need to leave here, but we will keep your business going for you. And that way, whenever this is resolved, you can just come right back to it because like you've a lot of people around here seem to really like you. So, you know, why would you abandon everything that you've already built here? And they're like, fantastic. That, that sounds fantastic. Um, oh, bitch. Um, Nancy, uh, Nancy's like, I'll, I'll try to find a way out for you. I'll try to find a way past what's going on. Oh, thank you, said Helene. You are a true friend. And just to think, we have known you only a few minutes. And I'm like, again, real life Disney princess friend to all children. May I call you Nancy? The young detective smiled at Helene's charming old world manners and said from now on they would be Helene and Nancy to each other. And will you please call me Henry? Her brother asked a twinkle in his eyes. Please, Nancy. Nancy blushed a little and said, all right, Henry. Why did I slip into Blanche Devereaux Southern at that point? Anyway, this is the only place in the book that this happens because please understand that I am deeply sensitive to these things because go the fuck to hell, Henry. But anyway, uh, that's the only time he does anything like that. So, um... 
Nancy, of course, after they get back in the car to um, go talk to her father and see what's going on, they spot the guy from the plane, and Nancy's like, stop, we gotta go, we gotta go. Anytime they see anybody on the street, and Nancy's like, stop, let's go find him, I'm like, bitch, that's, I, uh, that would never work for me. I don't, uh, anyway, I, I get that, you know, you gotta have shit to end chapters, but for fuck's sake. Anyway, um, and then we have a slight recap where it's like, the case of the secret of the old clock italicized to make sure that we are in proper MLA formatting. Um, and then the ringmaster secret was only recently she had finished working on a strange circus intrigue. And you're like, it was all those things. You're not wrong. Again, enemy of the show, L. Ron Hubbard. Um, so now Nancy's excited about solving this case. Nancy headed for her own home, a large spacious dwelling, which stood back some distance from the, an attractive street lined with old sycamore trees. She pulled into the winding drive bordered with flower beds and parked the car. As she hurried up the flagstone walk to the kitchen door, Hannah Gruen, the Drew's housekeeper, came out to meet her. Um, I always love the way that the whoever wrote the book decided to depict her house because I'm like, is it going to be a fucking mansion? Because, spoiler alert, in this one, it's got three fucking stories, y'all. Um, eventually, Helene and Henry come to stay at Nancy's house and they put Henry, let's see, Henry goes on the third floor and there's an attic fucking above it. And a cellar, like, son of a fucking bitch, y'all. Anyway, and, and she's supposed to be middle class. And I'm like, sure she is, honey. Um, Togo's in this book, and you're like, if Togo's in this book, then Togo's going to bite a villain. Like, or at least bark at them vehemently. I love you. Um, Carson comes in. Nancy tells him about the Centrovians. Um, <laughs> Mr. Drew is like, this sounds very serious. I would rather you did nothing about the case until I consult government authorities on the subject. I'm flying down to Washington this evening to consult with government authorities about things. And Nancy's like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to keep looking for the random guy that I saw on the plane. And Carson's like, that sounds great. Um, seriously. I've, why, why is Carson, why is Carson going to Washington? Why, maybe he's trying to finally pin some stuff on Elron. I don't know. Anyway, at nine o'clock, a taxi comes to take Mr. Drew to the airport, and then the bell rings on the front door, and it's Mrs. Boyd, who Nancy recognizes as one of their neighbors, and she's like, I want to talk to your dad. I need to sue the ass off somebody, and Nancy's like, uh, he is not here, but I can take a message, and she's like, Mr. Howard downtown at the jewelry store, I think I want to sue him. Um, he, um, gave her, well, he didn't give her, he sold her a bisque figurine that appealed to her. It, it was priced pretty high, but I bought it. After I got home, what do you think? There was a long crack in the little statue. So she pulls out this dancing girl statue. And Nancy's like, oh, I mean, it, it looks great. But there's a flaw that runs up a fold in the skirt. And Mrs. Boyd said that she took it back to Mr. Howard immediately, who was like, who inferred, did not say, but inferred that she was the one who damaged it and then said that the damage wasn't enough for him to actually, like, take it in exchange. And she's like, what do you think, Nancy? And I'm like, first off, not a legal representative, just a moderate approximation of one. But anyway, so Nancy's like, well, let me go talk to him. Mrs. Boyd is like, that sounds fantastic. So Nancy goes to talk to him. She points out the crack and he's like, uh, I mean, it's just... And Nancy's like, I think it was tampered with, though. And he's like, well, why would somebody do that? And Nancy's like, I, I don't know. It just looks like maybe somebody tampered with it. So he gets out a little thing to widen the crack, and the figurine just falls apart. When they open it up, it's hollow inside. He had only recently received a box of these things, so he goes and opens up the box and finds that all of them have a similar flaw in them. And when Nancy's like, can you open up all of them? And he does, and they find a slip of paper inside one of them. 
It says 10561-B-24. And Nancy's like, a code! A fucking code! Which, I love it, but anyway, it's fine. And they're like, clearly this is not the inspected by number. That makes no sense. <laughs> anyway, so Nancy's like, um, okay, can, can I buy all of them? Actually, she buys all of them before she asks him to basically wrench them apart. He says that he will sell her the entire box for $5, which is over 50 in today's money because we live in hell. Um, so yeah, so she's now got a box of broken figurines for, you know, why not? Why the fuck not? Why, why not spend $50 on a box of fucking figurines? It's fine. Um, Nancy decides that she will try to crack whatever the code is. Um, she asks about the guy who delivered them and the guy says that the person had red hair. Um, his last name was Wart with an E on the end of it. He seemed like a, let's see, he was about five feet eight, had graying hair. I'm sorry. And at the time of his call, wore a light gray suit. He was pallid and had deep set eyes that kept darting around nervously. But he seemed like a nice fellow and certainly was a good salesman. And he had an accent. He dropped French and German phrases into his conversation and talked about imported figurines like a foreign art dealer. And so Nancy's like, huh, huh. So she's like, okay, so he gave you merchandise that clearly, like, some tampering had happened with. Like, Nancy's thinking, like, smuggling. Something that maybe, maybe the figurines were created, like, as halves. And then they just kind of maybe did not glue them back together very well. Something like that happened. So, um, later that day, Mr. Drew, who apparently just decided to spend like, I don't know, 18 hours in Washington, um, comes back and he's like, figurines. And he's like, you'd make a good lawyer. Oh, because Mr. Bo- uh, Mr. Howard, after he discovered that everything was fucked up with the figurines, he agreed to give Mrs. Boyd her money back. And I was like, mm, that's legit. So yeah. Oh, Nancy's like, um, I've, I've got something to do today because Ned and I are going to a tea dance later on today and we'll stop at headquarters. And I'm like, I love all your cute euphemisms for the fact that you're clearly going to go to a hotel room and do it. I love it. It's fine. Ned's home from camp. Mr. Drew asked in surprise, pretty soft counselor's job he has at boys camp this summer. Because again, again, every summer it's like, I got a lifeguard at a boys camp slash help you on every single thing that happens to you. Like, you just need to know that. Um... Not so soft, Nancy replied, realizing she was being teased. He has to go back right after the dance. This never happens again in this entire damn book. Like, Ned pretends he, I I don't know. I don't know if he's got some shit going on that he's like, I have to work at a boys camp this summer, kind of, ish, just so that he can get out of shit. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. Um, Let's see. Nancy tells her father that she really feels like the Fontaines need to get out of where they are, and so... They decide to hatch an elaborate Rube Goldbergian scheme to get them from where they live to Nancy's place. Like, just absolutely ludicrous. It's, it's just ridiculous. Nancy goes to them, outlines what she wants to do, and she's like, you're going to take a plane out of town, then you're going to take a train back, and then I'm going to pick you up at the station, and people will not know where you've been. And I'm like, sure, honey. It's, it's totally fine. Uh, Nancy asks Bess and George, of course, to get involved in the scheme. And they're like, that's fantastic. Um, they also decide they're going to take over the dancing school. So George is like, fuck dancing. No. Bess is like, I love dancing. Nancy's like, also, also love dancing. Have taken several years of lessons because this is happening at the senior center. (laughs) And you know, this bitch loves a dance at a senior center. So they do have to decide who's going to basically manage the place, like to make sure everything's covered and everything. But they, they decide that they're going to wing that. Um, Nancy puts on a pale green tea dance dress. I want to know everything about this damn dress, but uh, that's all we're going to get. Um, 
All the older classes are taken care of, but Bess and Nancy decide they're going to take on the little ones. Nancy had spent many hours in dancing schools and was quite accomplished. I love that she's like basically a Regency novel heroine, but it's fine. She's like, I also can do some light sketching. Um, Let's see. Ned arrives, a tall, athletic young man with dark, slightly wavy hair and a ready smile. Mmm, you ain't wrong about that. Hello, everybody. Any new mysteries? And Nancy's like, bitch, have we met? <laughs> anyway, so um, George is like, we need a manager for the dancing school. Do you want to apply? And he, Ned roared with laughter. There's nothing I'd rather do. He said, striking a ballet pose, which I do love that he, like, strikes a ballet pose. He's like, I got this, bitch. I'm, I'm all things. I contain multitudes. Um, but he does actually suggest his mother. I might have known you'd become involved in something like this. I can see our dates for weeks ahead being canceled. But seriously, I have a suggestion. Perhaps my mother could help out. Nancy's future mother-in-law, Mrs. Nickerson, is like, that sounds fantastic. Uh, Let's see. Ned has a new green sports car, which, I mean, when he's with Nancy, your car's going to take a lot of shit. So I get it. They decide that they're going to come back and help out with the thing. They're going to whistle as their secret code to each other. Bess and George are whenever they're on the outlook for weird weird men just standing near Nancy's house. And I was like, if a bitch is loitering near Nancy's house, first off, why is there not like a security guard at the Drew home at all times, given how many times your house is fucking broken into? It's like on the daily. Um, I'm just saying. Second, why are cops not patrolling your house constantly? Because again, you're wealthy white people. So I, mm, maybe some Dobermans. I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, Nancy and Ned go to the dance which seems to be like an afternoonish thing, and then they're away until nine o'clock. I'm like, yeah, y'all banged in a hotel room. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm I'm 100% here for it. It's fine. So they do their incredibly ludicrous thing. Bess and George spot a guy who's standing near and and seems to be watching Nancy in her dad's house. Um, they they get the guy and they're like, aren't you us from Centrovia? Like, George is like, I got this because Bess, of course, is like, fuck this shit. She's afraid of everything. Um, he paused to light a cigarette. So, you know, he's bad. Um, so George is like, aren't you from Centrovia? Oh, I, I've been looking everywhere for you. I wanted to write an article in the news for the newspaper about you. Let's, let's go interview you. And he like senses that there's something suspicious and is like, what's going on here? George is help, hoping that she will run into a policeman, which again, I'm like, yeah, you're near Nancy and her dad's home. Like, that seems like a legit thing. Um, but he's like, uh, mind your own business or I'm going to call the police. And I'm like, he was the one fucking loitering in a, in a neighborhood with that you know that some shit's about to go down. Like, for him to threaten to call the police is ballsy. I like it. It's a, it's a bold move. It's a bold move. Um, they don't hear from Nancy in the time that they thought that they would. Um, psh- Nancy parks at the River Heights airport, having driven Henry and Helene to the airport, and points to the waiting plane, which belonged to a friend of Ned Nickerson's. Like, oh my God, what the fuck? Like, Scrooge McDuck money. Fucking Scrooge McDuck money, y'all. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, there's somebody at the airport that she's staring at her. She's like, oh my God, what if they've been told? Um, somebody else... Comes up and is like, has a French accent. He's like, I'm a friend of the Fontaines. Where are they going? And he's like, I'm going to, sh-, he shakes his fist at her. If you don't tell me, it will go badly with you. You are playing a dangerous game, mademoiselle. And she's like, I've got nothing to tell you, bitch. Move it. Anyway, so 
Yeah, it's just all bad. He actually um, follows Nancy from the airport and forces her off the road. And then, like, she has to stop her car because he's basically boxed her in. And that's when he comes out and threatens her. Um, another car comes by with a young couple inside. And they're like, "Can you know, the young woman inside is like, do you need any help? Nancy's like, um, no, but can I just follow you back to town? Because, you know, safety in numbers. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. So they just let Nancy's car follow theirs, which is pretty cool. Um, eventually they make it back, which is ridiculous. Um, Nancy spots somebody outside and is like, oh no. And it's her dad. <laughs> Cause he got back and was like, I'll just, you know, be on the lookout. That's fine. Um, let's see. They show them to, they have their little midnight snack of sandwiches and milk. Oh, they're like little baby toddlers. Oh God. Um, at breakfast the next day, Helene notes that she forgot that she had signed up for a coaching job for the big charity show to be given at the senior center. It's the civic center, but oh my God, it's the senior center. Let's just, let's just own it. It's seniors. Um, so Helene's like, can you tell Mrs. Parsons, who's in, fr- in charge of it, that I needed to give it the coaching? And Nancy's like, sure. So when she goes in, she finds out that her, that for the show, the main soloist has also like basically pulled out of it. Her dad was helping with her. He's gone. And she's like, everything's falling apart. Now Helene and, and blah, blah. And she's like, oh, and also Millie Koff, who was the one, the solo performer who had pull, who had, had to pull out. Um, they checked out of the hotel last night with no explanation. She's from Centrovia. And you're like, ah, ah, Centrovia, of course. Um, Mr. Koff is a writer. He's an eccentric, excitable person. His daughter is the talented ballet dancer. So, yeah, um, basically what happens is Mrs. Parsons is like, how about you take the part? And Nancy's like, girl, girl, I'm, I mean, I'm okay, but I'm not great. And Mrs. Parsons like, fuck that noise. You are Nancy Drew, Disney princess in front of all children. You can do this shit. And Nancy's like, I mean, she said, look, if you can't get Millie back, if I, like, I, I'll pinch hit for you, but otherwise, like, we're going to work really hard on getting Millie back. And then, of course, Nancy's future mother-in-law, Mrs. Nickerson, is there at Henry and Helene's dancing school waiting for her. She is very pretty with her prematurely white, wavy hair. And I'm like, Nancy, you are responsible for every white hair on that head. <laughs> um, her petite figure and her stylishly tailored cotton dress. What color is it? Fuck you. <laughs> anyway, um, Nancy's like, I'm, you know, thank you so much for helping. I know that I drag Ned into shit all the time, but I'm really happy that you were able to help. And yeah. So basically, Nancy goes and, and decides that she's going to start practicing for the dance that she has to do. And she's laughing at herself because she's like, I'm just, I'm not going to be nearly as good as anybody else, but at least I can have fun doing it, which I mean, I like, it's, it's nice that she's not like, yes, I have learned all of the, the Swan Queen's dance. It's fine. But anyway. So, that seems like a good place to pause. Hang on. So, Nancy's back at the dancing school, like, filling in at the front desk because I think, like, Mrs. Mrs. Nickerson had, like, a previous engagement that she couldn't get out of. So, um, a woman hurried into the reception room. She was a coarse-looking person. You're like, oh, villain. Okay. Like, that's, that's all. They're, that is their code for villain. If you are coarse-looking, then guess what? They have already decided. Wearing too much makeup and a strong, pungent perfume. Again, like... It's really interesting to me that it's like, if you are trying to overperform femininity, then we are going to distrust you mightily. Interesting. Interesting stuff happening. She was dressed in a flowered red and green dress. I was like, Christmas colors! 
And a red hat was perched on her helter-skelter reddish curls. So it's like, you're not, you're not performing femininity correctly is the problem. Like, you're, you're too flashy. You're just too flashy. And you smell. Uh, where is Helene Fontaine? The woman asked her abruptly. Nancy's like, she ain't here right now, bitch. My, I'm Mrs. Judson, the woman said tartly. Helene is a good friend of mine. I've heard she left town. The idea of her going without telling me, what's her address? And I'm like, w- I guess this would work on some people. But I, I would just stare at her and be like, what the fuck business is it of yours? Because if she wanted you to know, she would have told you, bitch. But anyway, that's me. That is not Nancy at all. Nancy's like, I'm afraid I can't give it to you. Because <laughs> it is my own, bitch. Um, anyway. Um, and she's like, she wouldn't run off without telling me. I need to know where they are. And Nancy's like, I cannot tell you. And then she goes into a tirade. And Nancy's like, look, girl, you need to leave. Like, we're done here. So Nancy actually gets out from behind the desk to escort the lady out. She's like, there are children present. You need to shut it. So Mrs. Judson, um, shook herself free, turned halfway around, and jammed her elbow hard into Nancy's hip. And Nancy falls the fuck down the stairs. And you're like, of course she does. If Nancy has to perform anything like a dance or a golf, um, she's going to get injured. And it's going to be bad, but not enough to prevent her from doing so should the need arise. She might have to power through some shit. She might need to take to pop an oxy. We don't know. But anyway, so Nancy's at the foot of the stairs like, what the fuck? And Mrs. Judson just proceeds down the stairs and walks over her, like, prone corpse. And Nancy's like, holy shit. And she doesn't even, like, say, oh, are you okay? That was a bad thing that just happened. She's just like, fuck you, buddy. So Nancy, of course, can't really get up at that point because her right ankle won't support her weight at that time. And George walks in and is like, what the fuck? And Nancy's like, this bitch not be down the stairs. Go get her. Go get her. George tries to follow her, but, um, George actually follows Mrs. Judson to the post office where she picks up some mail that apparently was sent to her general delivery. She gets an upset look on her face. She tears up the envelope, but, um, George does manage to get a piece of the envelope that she doesn't discard appropriately, which has a stamp on it that says, par avion. So fun. Anyway. Yeah. In the meantime, Bess, who is old hand at this, who knows exactly what to do, um, puts some ice on Nancy's ankle and binds it up so that it'll feel better. So Nancy looks at the bit of envelope that she's got and she's like, this is interesting. And so she gets Hannah to steam the envelope off and they find underneath it the exact same code that Nancy found on the slip of paper that was inside the figurine. And Nancy's like, yes, I love a fucking code. I love it. Um, Whenever Henry and Helene find out that Nancy was basically thrown down the stairs by this coarse, not performing drag well person, they're like, We'd never been for you to get hurt. This is too dangerous. And Nancy's like, bitch, I eat this for breakfast. Like, I don't know what I would do with myself if I were not being tossed downstairs. It's fine. I'm a stunt lady. It's fine. They do not recognize Mrs. Judson. They don't know who that is. They don't, um, they don't understand. They don't know the handwriting that's on the envelope, any of that. So, yeah, it's fine. They try to solve the puzzle, but they can't find anything, honestly. Um, which they're like, it could, it could legit be anything. It doesn't seem to be any sort of substitution cipher. They try some stuff and and none of it really seems to work. So, um, Helene feels bad that they were not allowed to basically pay for room and board. And so Nancy's like, 
girl, we look at all this room. We're fine. We're fucking fine. So Henry says, I used to be a portrait painter. So let me paint your portrait as like exchange for letting us stay here. And Nancy's like, that sounds great. Um, my dad loves having paintings of me. They, they fill the house. It's like some sort of weird Dorian Gray situation and I'm fine with it. So let's do it. Anyway, so Nancy poses for her portrait in a dainty ice blue blouse. I like it. I like the symbolism. It's like, Henry, you cannot touch this. So, um, yeah, yeah, good times, good times. They go to the police station, they drop off the code to see if the police can crack anything, and I'm like, the police seem uniquely terrible in this entire series, so good luck with that. Like, especially later with the thing that's going to happen that I'm not going to spoil for you yet. Uh, Nancy and George go around town, they're trying to find any, any clues on any of the Centrovians that are just wandering around town. <laughs> Um, they do find that the Judsons apparently were inside. Uh, the woman called the man Raul or something like that, R-O-W-L. And Nancy's like, that was probably Raul. So cool. What were they talking about? And she's like, I didn't hear the first part of it. They were, they seemed to be arguing. The woman finally said, you better come across with a nice bit of jewelry from me or I'll spill the beans. And Nancy's like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> Anyway, um, apparently the man was upset that she lost the envelope for the letter that she passed over. And Nancy's like, yeah, because I got that bitch. Um, they also are trying to find maybe where the where they're staying so that they can find out anything else about them. They go to a an apartment building nearby that is on the same road that they mentioned in conversation and passing. Because, of course, that waitress was like, I wrote everything down. And they said something about Oakwood Avenue. And Nancy's like, thank you. So they go there. There's a French guy who lives there, Guillaume, who has a waxed mustache. And I'm like, Hercule, Hercule Poirot. It's fine. Um, but anyway, so he's like, hi, ladies. And Nancy's like, yeah, do you know anybody else who lives here who's kind of trash? And he's like, oh, oh, the Judsons. <laughs> yeah, they moved out this morning. And Nancy's like, Fantastic. So, um, they, they go home and Nancy's like, Ned, and Ned's like, you got a busted ankle? Um, so Ned says, well, let's have a, I thought we could have a date tonight. Nancy's like, uh, we kind of need to stay home. Like, cause he mentions they could double date with Henry and Helene. And Nancy's like, yeah, we should probably stay home cause they can't be out for reasons. So, and also busted ankle. So they decide to stay home. So they just have a little four person date, which is adorable, like playing cards and stuff. Nancy's like, how about you have dinner with us? I can promise apple pie. And I'm like, your cute little euphemisms. I love it. And it's like, it's a date. Um, they draw the drapes. They invite the Fontaines downstairs. They, um, yeah. The weird thing is that, let's see. Yeah, the four, the conversation between the teenagers had just turned to a comparison of customs among teenagers in France and the United States when the doorbell rang several times. And I'm like, I want to know everything. Well, how are French teenagers different? But anyway, um, so Hannah goes and answers the door and a man walks in with a handkerchief concealing his face, forces his way in, quickly shuts the door. Ned walks in and is about to tackle his ass, but he's like, but he's just standing there and he's like, you live here? And Nancy's like, y yeah. And he's like, and then somebody else bangs on the door, and he's like, I was followed here. Don't let him in. And they're like, what the fuck? George is the one who followed him in because he is a Centrovian. 
And you're like, of course he's a fucking Centrovian. My God, the place is just overrun with Centrovians at this point. Anywhere you look, if you throw anything, you're going to hit a Centrovian. So, um, Nancy's like, oh no, should we get... Somebody is like, Nancy, get the police. And Nancy's like, Let, let's just let's just hang on just a second. Okay, the guy identifies himself as the ballet dancer Millie's father. He is also the person that Nancy saw on the plane who grabbed his briefcase and hauled ass. So the problem is he's got he's got something happening. Um, he came to talk to Mr. Drew because he had a problem. When he grabbed his briefcase off the plane, he noted that it was not his briefcase. It was somebody else's. It apparently belonged to Mr. Busby. And I was like, Ruth Busby? No. Um, so when he opened it up and saw that there were papers inside addressed to that person, he airmailed it to New York Special Delivery because, you know, he was just trying to be nice. Then the trouble started. I had a phone call the following day from a man here in River Heights who said that the briefcase belonged to him. Busby had notified him and it was sending it along. The man here is David Judson of Oakwood Avenue. And Nancy's like, oh, that bitch. Um, David Judson told me that Mr. Busby was a business competitor of his. As a result of seeing confidential material in the briefcase, he had learned several business secrets and profited from them by getting several large orders. And I'm like, this happened four days ago. What the fuck? What the literal fuck? Um, Mr. Justin claims he has suffered considerable financial loss because of its demanding damages. And Nancy's like, is is that a thing? Um, so that is why Millie and her father packed up and left the hotel is because they were trying to get away from that jackass. But he tracked them down and called them. They're in Cliffwood now. Um, and he's like, I have a witness who was on the plane who saw that you intentionally took the wrong suitcase. And Nancy's like, I was there and I saw that you didn't intentionally take a what the fuck? Like, I I will, I'll testify on your behalf. It's fine. The problem is, though, that um, Nancy's not sure whether to trust him. And again, the xenophobia is interesting in this book because Nancy is the one who experiences the least of it. Like, she's generally pretty careful in what she does and how she interacts with people. Like, she's distrustful of everybody-ish asterisk. But the people around her definitely seem to be more xenophobic than she is. Very much more like, you know, I don't think we should trust them. We don't know much about them. When it's like anybody around you, you're like, there are people who fleece people in River Heights, y'all. It's fine. Um, so actually, um, Mr. Koff says that there were many wonderful dancers of in Centrovi, but no more, no, no more. The hearts of our people are crushed. They do not have the time nor the spirit for singing and dancing. And I was like, Ukraine. Um, but Nancy's like, is Millie going to be in the show if we can figure this shit out? And he's like, uh, that'd be great. Um, and he also knew the Provacs, who the mother was an excuse, uh, exquisite beauty. They don't know where the children are. He says, if you ever hear of Henry and F- Helene Fontaine, let me know at once. And Nancy's like, um... So Nancy and her dad look at each other like... And Carson's like shakes his head slightly like, don't tell him. But then Henry and Helene like fucking bust into the room. And Nancy's like... Good job at being witness protection protectees. Like, oh my God, y'all. Oh my God. So they start like talking in Centrovian and, and waving their hands. And you're like, yeah, I, I like how you're trying to emphasize the fact that they are just like excitable foreigners. Um, everybody runs in and they seem very excitable. And they're like, are, y- are y'all about to fight? Because we don't know what you're saying. And you just seem super excited. And they're like, no, no, we were just telling each other. We were catching each other on. We are excitable people. We are we're not we were saying nothing which you should not hear. Again with the whole like if you're speaking a different language then clearly you're trying to hide something from me. Like mm, mm, anyway. Um let's see. 
So they tell each other their stories um, about the notes. Uh, Nancy's like, oh, yeah, we thought that you were the one who sent the, the note to Henry and Helene. And he's like, no, no, I would never have done that. Like, that's, that's, not, that's not a thing. Will you take my case? Et cetera, et cetera. George is like, I don't know whether to trust him. The Fontaines are like, we, we trust him implicitly. And Carson and Nancy are like, I, uh, he, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And then Helene and Henry are like, oh, well, maybe, maybe we, maybe we said too much. Because again, like, you don't know who's involved in this Trevian actual, like, underground movement and who's, like, a mole in the underground. There's a lot going on. That's fine. So, now that they know that Henry and Helene are there, Ned's like, okay, so my family has a cabin on Cedar Lake. It's a little place. It's a little place. At one at the end of this book, they have a party in there, and they've jammed, like, 20 people in there, and I'm like, so when you say little, when you, when you say little, you're like, in comparison to Nancy's, like, five-story shit happening. Anyway, um, they're not using it right now. I'm sure my parents will be glad to let you live there, you know, while they're in hiding, basically, and so they're like, yeah, that's great. Um, so they pack up food and everything. Nancy and Ned take them out there. Um, as soon as Nancy, Ned, Henry, and Helene leave, um, Mr. Drew... Go, drops George back at her house, gets back home. Hannah gives him a phone call, and he says the call from Mr. Coffee has received a good lead in connection with his case and wants me to join him in New York, so he's just leaving by plane. I'm going to meet him there. I'll take the next plane that leaves in about an hour. Um, so Hannah's home um, alone because, you know, of course, everybody else is off doing other errands, and a man and a woman wearing masks are at the front door, like, because somebody knocks at the front door, and Nancy, and Hannah's like, oh, I guess Nancy must have forgotten her key, but when she opens it up, the, they, of course, rush inside, masked, slam the door, where are the Fontaines, and so it's a bunch of them, like, trying to pimp slap Hannah, and be like, where are they, we're gonna fuck you up, and then Togo, of course, comes after them, and the guy, like, grabs Togo and wraps him up into a drape from the hallway, and they're like, if you regret, if you don't tell us, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. And that's the end of the, the chapter. So we pick back up with Nancy and Ned, who are like, oh, I'm, we're so glad that you were able to stay in this cabin. Um, when they pull up to the cabin, though, there's a light on inside. And Ned's like, hang on, I'll, I'll be right back. Ned's like, I'm just going to play this off. When he goes up there, a couple of his fraternity brothers are using it. They have a standing invitation to use the place whenever they want to. Side note. I read this and was like, are, is there a reason that, that they would, okay, because, like, from that point on, I was like, clearly the two of them are, are in a relationship, and that is like, you can use my bathhouse anytime, um, <laughs> so, they're like, oh, no, you're, you've got fraternity brothers who are staying here, and, oh, we don't want to put them out or anything. And that's like, there's no reason that you can't all stay here together. You can depend upon the boys to keep our secret. I'm like, because we're keeping theirs. Um, in fact, it might be a good thing to have a couple of strong-armed guys on hand if any of your enemies show up. And I'm like, sure, sure, that's fine. Helene laughed. I have heard much about these American fraternity boys. It will be nice to meet some of them, and they will be glad to meet you, Ned said. And I'm like, because you're a dancer. Uh, no, it's fine. <laughs> anyway. Two good-looking youths, one tall and blonde, the other short and dark, strode down the path. And I'm like, y'all know it. Y'all know it. Uh, Steve and Art are the gay couple who Ned is hoping to... No, it's fine. So they decide to stay there. Steve says, um, late tomorrow night we have to leave. And I'm like, they have to get back to their lives. They have to gently, romantically part. It's fine. Um, they decide that they're going... Nancy says, Helene and Henry, when I call you, let's have an identifying word. Scarlet. And they're like, yes, this is perfect. And I'm like, 
Y'all are adorable. It's it's like you're legit playing as spies. It's fine. They get oh oh I forgot. Um, when they left, as Nancy and Ned drove back to River Heights, they were silent for a while. Then Ned chuckled. It isn't often that I get a chance to ride along the Muskoka River with you in the moonlight. Nancy smiled and looked up at the sky, and I'm like so many euphemisms so little time they get home the house is dark um they can hear togo barking hannah is of course tied to a chair so they um nancy picks up togo and oh i'm sorry ned actually picks up togo initially because of course ned is his presumed soon-to-be father um let's see Togo, of course, jumps over into Nancy's arms as soon as he can, um, began licking her in overjoyed affection. And you're like, Ned or the puppy? It's fine. Um, she carried him with her and gave him a puppy biscuit. And I'm like, good dog, Togo. Good dog. <laughs> Hannah, of course, is just like overcome because she's like, they were so mean to me and, and it was really bad. And Nancy's like, let me get you some tea. And I'm like, exactly. Nancy and Ned decide to search the house, of course, for clues, of course. And they search everywhere that they could possibly can. They note that there's places where it looks like somebody's been searching the house. Um, but when they get up to the attic, which, again, I'm like, I guess. I guess it makes sense to search in the attic if you're looking for hiding people. Um, Nancy leaned over a trunk near one corner and spotted a small object on the floor behind it. And the light, she saw that it was a knife. Since it did not belong to the Drews, the Judsons must have dropped it. It appears to be a pallet knife. And it's got a polished wooden handle with an R carved on the base of it. And Nancy's like, Raul? Um, And Nancy's like, hmm. Ned's like, does this mean that Mr. Judson's an artist? And Nancy's like, I don't know. I just don't know. Okay, so the next chapter, all of these chapters have titles, y'all. So the chapter of the thing that you're going to love for the rest of your life is called Ballet Interlude. And you're like, of course it is. Of course it fucking is. None of them are called like... A jackass reveals himself, which would work on all sorts of levels. But anyway, for nearly an hour, Nancy and Ned, quote, talk, I'm, I'm quoting because sure, this is what they were doing, talked about the clue of the R on the artist's palette knife. And I'm like, okay, that, that'll take you about one sentence. The rest of this, y'all, y'all need to bang it out. Both were sure it had special significance. Yeah, they bought it at a yard sale. No, it's fine. It's, this goes along with everybody, everything that the villain has must be monogrammed at all times. Have you any idea how you might find out more about it? Ned asked. I think I'll go over to that apartment house on Oakwood Avenue tomorrow and interview the superintendent and that Frenchman who knew the Judsons. I'll go along, said Ned with a wink. Best told me about that Monsieur Guillon. I love that name. I mean, you're not wrong about that. It's so fun to say. Nancy laughed, assuring Ned that the man did not interest her. Y'all are post-coital. Like, I ain't into him. It's fine. Um, but she said that she would be del- delighted to have Ned go along because, of course, it's another opportunity for us to be like, we need to go interview a suspect for several hours. Bye. <laughs> and again, Carson's not home. What else y'all going to be doing? Early the next afternoon, a beautiful blue sky Sunday, he picked her up in his car and they drove to Oakwood Avenue. As before, the superintendent, who apparently has nothing to do with his time other than avoid all responsibilities related to his actual job, did not answer his bell, so Nancy pressed the one for the Guillaume apartment. She said, hoping that she was pronouncing it correctly. Um, anyway, so they walked down there, the Frenchman's in the doorway. Ah, you have come back, mademoiselle, he said with a smile, and you have brought your fiancé. Yeah, just, just let it. Let it wash over you. As he spoke, Monsieur Guillon twirled one end of his mustache, like Hercule Poirot, and invited the couple in. Okay, I'm going to say it. 
they don't say he's wrong. They don't say he's wrong. They're not like, oh, Nancy doesn't like laugh and, and duck her head and be like, no, 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 we're just, we're just dating. Ned doesn't look at him and go, how dare you? Like, they just allow it. And I'm here for it. I'm here for this shit. They followed him in and took seats like, yes, we are engaged. Keep going. Like, oh my God. Like, okay, I get so little, but this is just like earth shattering. You understand this. You were a great help to me the other day. So basically he asks if Nancy asked the Frenchman if the Judsons were artists. And he's like, no, no, they were, they were dipshits. That's fine. He, I did not like him. You have been very, very kind. Um, so then they go back home and Nancy finds out that her dad's back. And like, there's, there's no fucking, there's, well, in my book, there is a lot of fucking, but like, there's no like, oh, that was cute. Like there's some stuff that happens later that feels deeply, deeply related to that, but it's fine. Um, what Nancy and Ned find out whenever they return back home to find Carson when they are like, we did not have sex last night. It's fine. Um, that phone call that called Carson away was a complete hoax, like, or apparently a hoax. Um, there was nobody there to meet Carson's plane. Mr. Cough, whenever Carson reached him, said that he had not made the call. Nobody understands what's going on. He was thunderstruck. There's no one there. Nancy's like, okay, so somebody was trying to get you out of the way. They were trying to get you away from home. They knew that we had just left with the Fontaines. Like, mm, this all seems bad. This all seems bad. So, but he made it back. He like, you know, hung out with his sister. Again, anytime you're in New York and Eloise is like, I'm here for you. What would you like to do? Broadway shows? Um, anything else? Because that's it. Broadway shows and shopping. Also some tea rooms. It's fine. Uh, so Nancy calls the Fontaine's notes that she found the palette knife with the R on it. Um, he, Henry doesn't know. Henry doesn't know why anybody other than an artist would be using a palette knife. So Ned's like, this puzzle is too much for me. Let's talk a walk, Nancy. And I'm like, hell yeah, I know what that's a euphemism for. Uh, Nancy goes to tell Mrs. Parsons that Millie's going to be back in the show. She's like, oh, so I get to sit out. And Mrs. Parsons is like, hell no, you get to be in the show. I love you. I love you. You're, you're a huge draw. You're going to be in the show. And Ned actually agrees and is like, you should, you should totally do it. Nancy's like, well, okay, okay. Um, the next day, Mrs. Nickerson can't make it. Um, she's got a sick friend, so Nancy and Bess have to take over. So they take over the little, the little people class. Uh, Nancy gets to put on a, on a ballet uniform, a ballet outfit with a tutu and everything. Um, let's see. <laughs> Nancy, because of course Nancy has like an encyclopedic knowledge of anything that you care to mention, basically. Like, she's like, oh, let me give the little history lesson at the beginning of the class. So she's talking to the little girls about, because I did look really closely, and it seems that all the ballet dancers, all the ones who are involved in the little ballet dancing classes, do seem to be feminine. But, um, yeah, they, they're like, oh, let's, let's put on music, and you do your interpretive dance to it. And the little kids start pulling, and they're like, there's a witch! And Nancy's like, what the fuck? Um, and it's somebody who was legit dressed as a witch, like with a witch hat, who was creeping around outside. And Nancy's like, the fuck? And then she's like, Mrs. Judson. So, um, she steals the fucking ballet slippers off the fucking wall. Like the, the scarlet ones that are the titular part of this mystery. Um, she like fucking takes them off the wall and hauls ass. And Nancy's like, what the fuck? And so she, um, Bess has just come back in, which side note in body shaming news. Um, Bess is like, I need to run out and get a soda, which is why Nancy had to take over the class. And Nancy's like calories. And Bess is like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) 
Anyway, so Bess runs back in and Nancy's like, watch the class. I've got a witch to follow. And Bess just allows this as one does. When you are friends with Nancy Drew, you know that at times she's going to be chasing some fucking witches. So hilariously, because again, Nancy is out on the street with her busted ass ankle um, wearing a ballet outfit and people just start pointing and laughing <laughs> because they're like, what the fuck? The elderly spinster who clerked at the rare old books volume Oh, rare old volumes bookshop, which come up, come with a better title, y'all. Uh, looked with frank disapproval at Nancy. Shocking. The young detective heard her say, running around the streets in clothes like that. What is this town coming to? Nancy blushed in spite of herself. I would have been like, bitch, it's a mystery. Which is basically what she does. She's like, look, I'm helping out at the ballet school and there's a witch. Follow them. And they're like, oh shit, okay. I also do love, because um, Nancy Drew books were also not carried in some public libraries because they were considered to be not appropriate content for young adults, which I'm like, what What do you think was? Moby Dick. But um, I do like that this could be like some little sideways shade of that, where it's like, yeah, you're going to just be a dick about things that you don't know anything about, bitch, are you? Anyway, it's it's fine. Um they can't find her. They and Nancy's like, "Well, son of a bitch! Like, I'm sure those were her mom's ballet slippers. I'm sure she's gonna be pissed. Who wouldn't be?" So Nancy decides that they're gonna go out there and see if maybe there's a reason that somebody might steal the ballet slippers. Maybe there was some sort of clue or secret or something that was in the ballet slippers. But anyway, um, let's see. Her dad, Nancy's dad, says that he would be happy to go with her to Cedar Lake. Um, he also learned that the plane that Nancy was on at the beginning of the book, one of the passengers spoke with a decided French accent, but his name was listed as Raymond Bull. He also got off the plane at River Heights, and Nancy's like, Raymond R. Palette knife, yes. Um, so Carson goes to, Carson calls all the places in town where he could be staying, and nobody there by that name is staying there. Um, when they arrive at the Nickerson Lodge two hours later, so it's interesting to me that the lodge is apparently two hours away. Depending on what part of the book you're in, um, the the Cedar Lake cabin is about two hours away from River Heights, which is interesting. Um, it's fine. Nothing. A long way away. They're just hanging out on the front porch. And I was like, do you understand the concept of witness protection? Do you understand that, like, but, okay, they're young people. They're not going to be hanging out playing checkers all day long. It's fine. Anyway, um, so Nisa's like, uh, so, son of a bitch, the slippers got stolen. Um... So the fun thing that they, they're like, oh, well, there's some interesting thing about the slippers. So Henry was asked to basically, basically he was commissioned to paint a series of 12 portraits and they were all going to be of ballet dancers in various poses. And it was to quote, fill an order for a ballet school or an art school or something. So um, the person who got involved with that was Thomas Rene. And Nancy's like, another R. Yes. Um, so that person basically commissioned Henry to complete the work. He was not allowed to sign it. He was not allowed to acknowledge it. Like, it all seemed really fishy. And um, also, the person who commissioned it also wanted his wife to pose for the portraits. But she was terrible at ballet and posing and also seemed to be flirting with Henry a lot. And the husband seemed to get really jealous. And it was just all super, super awkward. So Henry basically got his sister to pose for the portraits instead. And in the last one, she's wearing the scarlet ballet slippers. So that's fun. But, um, like, right after he finished the last one is when he got the threatening note. And so he, I don't know if he ever really got paid for them. Like, that, that was kind of up in the air. Um, so everything was, like, super fishy as, res, as related to that. He's not sure what the hell happened. He's not sure where the paintings ended up. He knows where he painted them. 
Henry says, I was to be paid an attractive price. I'm not sure that he ever actually collected on the work. Um, but yeah, just as he was finishing the last picture, um, the warning note came for him to leave. So he's not sure. So they're not quite sure what was going on there. But um, Nancy poses for her own portrait for a while. Um, let's see. Yeah. Hmm. Here's the thing about this book. Like, and I'm going to go ahead and fucking spoil this shit. Um, the paintings were made so that somebody could, because, um, Henry uses the method where you basically pile the oil paint on top of each other so that it's the, I think they call it the, anyway, it's mentioned in the book. The specific method is mentioned in the book. So if you look at the surface of the painting, the surface of the painting is going to be bumpy. Like it's going to have ridges in it from where the paint is. So what somebody did actually is after he finished the paintings, they modified the painting slightly by putting some gems into the paintings. They like put them into some oil paint and then lumped the oil paint on top of a place where it would normally already have been, or a place where it wasn't, but it wouldn't be natural for it to be. And that's how they smuggled the jewels into the country. Because if you anybody checks out the art, they're probably going to be checking out the frame, so they're not going to be checking out the actual painting. And if you were to like x-ray the painting, you wouldn't necessarily need to see anything amiss. They figure this out later. The palette knife would be involved in this because, of course, you would need a palette knife to scrape off the paint to get out the gems that you needed, but... Um, they're able to recover some, of course, because if you are doing this, you're not necessarily going to remember everywhere that you threw some paint on there. And Henry actually demonstrates to Nancy how this would be done, which makes Bess, who was there at the time, go, are, are we sure that he's as innocent as he says he is? Because he knows how to do this. And Nancy's like, I'm sure he's fine, I guess. Because again, the, the whole xenophobia thing. Anyway, so... Um, Nancy decides that she wants to track down the paintings after they basically figure out what happened, that the paintings were used to smuggle the jewels into the United States. Um, they decide that they're going to call places where it would be normal for these things to be placed. So they call dancing schools. They call different places where it would make sense for, you know, portraits of ballet dancers to be. So they tracked on some of them and they do actually find evidence in the paintings that that's what happened. They see like some of the modification and they see they are able to recover some of the gems that were stolen in it. So that's that's what happened. So they know that Thomas Renee is apparently involved in something that's apparently smuggling gems into the country. So that's fun. Um, whenever they track down the paintings, they do find that all 12 of them were shipped to the United States on various days during the past 12 months. Um, Raul Amien, which, of course, we have an R on a palette knife, so every suspect's gonna have an R in his fucking name. Um, yeah. So, they know, they know basically that they've got this Raymond Bull, they've got Thomas Rene, they've got Raul Amien. They don't know if any of these are the same person. They just know that they're apparently involved in all this. Um, Nancy places an ad in the paper, which, as you remember from our recent episode about the Nancy Drew Files thing, um, placing ads in the paper can be hazardous to your health, but it's fine. Um, so they write, she puts an, um, she puts an ad in the Gazette for a painting of a ballet dancer to see if she can locate any of them because she's hoping that they're going to be nearby because of course the people who are involved in the smuggling need to seem to be nearby. Uh, Nancy, of course, as a result of this does get a threatening note that's like, stay off this case. Um, so that's fun. The weird thing also happens that... Mr. Koff, remember, he's like, oh, I'm going to stay in town and I'm going to tell the Justins to fuck off and it's going to be fine and my daughter's going to dance in that show and they can just shove it. Um, remember all that. Yes, so Joanne Koff, like, 
Nancy's like, yeah, they're back in town. And then Mrs. Parsons like, I haven't heard from him though. And Nancy sees Joey and cough and she's like, what the, the fuck? And he's like, oh, I got, there was some weird shit that happened. And Nancy's like, I don't, I don't know who to fucking trust here because every time I talk to you, you have a different story about what's going on. Like, it seems a bit sketch. I mean, do you have people after you? I'm pretty sure you do. But also like, I don't know. Everything's just super weird. Um, He's like, oh, we just stayed overnight somewhere else. Like, some weird stuff was happening, and it's fine. And so, yeah. Nancy mentions the names of the people that she thinks are involved in the smuggling. She's like, are they friends of yours? And he's like, no. And then he's like, are you trying to... And she's like, oh, I just... I just don't know what's going on. I'm just trying to find them. So, yeah, Beth and George are like, I don't don't know. I I don't know about any of this. Uh, the threatening note, stop your detective work at once or you will find yourself in grave peril. And you're like, bitch, you already are. So, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. Bess is so shaken by the note that she, like, doesn't even go when they hit a green light. She's like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. They're, this is really bad. And George is like, what the fuck? It's fine. It's fine. Um, they go to another dancing school. They find that there are, they find one of the old paintings, um, one of them sells Nancy the painting for, like, $10 because she finds out that it's involved in smuggling. She's like, fucking no, I don't want any of that shit here. The next interesting thing that happens is that <laughs> some fair gaming happens because Elron, Elron's behind all of this. Um, Anyway, the dancing school, like, half the class doesn't show up the next day. More than half of the, the little ballet dancing class, the one that Nancy and Bess have been taking care of, they don't show up. Nancy reaches out to them because she's like, uh, what happened? Is there some sort of thing going on? And one of the moms tells her that she received an anonymous note. An anonymous letter informing them that the Fontaines had disappeared because they were wanted by the police authorities. The letters indicated that the dancers were involved in a serious scandal, which would reflect on the children if they continued at the school. And Nancy's like, that is bullshit. That is fucking bullshit. They are fair gaming you. They are fair gaming. They are trying to smear their names. Like, they're just being bitches send them back and they actually trust nancy over the anonymous letters which again is correct and so they start sending their children back to the school but nancy's like this is just fucking underhanded as shit and of course it costs you nothing because it's anonymous so it's fine um let's see nancy finds the portrait of helene so that's fun um and she buys it for 35 dollars, so that's fun um and a guy with reddish hair is the person who sold it to that person um they take it to henry and helene who is who were like, oh, yes, okay, so this is what happened. They were putting gems into the painting, so they demonstrate how to do it. They think that it's fun. Um, hilariously, after that, Nancy's like, I'm feeling hot. Let's go for a swim. And they're, Bess is like, I'm in, in my clothes. And Nancy's like, I've got a spare swimming trunk, spare swimming togs, for God's sake, in the trunk of the car. And Helene has an extra suit. And I'm like, I, I would need there to be tags on and for that that little liner to still be intact. Like, um, I'm, I'm not going to borrow your swimsuit. It's fine, honey. I mean, it's fine. Nobody else seems to care. I would have been like, if, if Ned were along, I would be fine with y'all skinny dipping, but it's fine. Anyway, it's cool. Um, they go to Harwich because they apparently also have one of the paintings. So they check that out. Um, Nancy also like scrapes off, uh, and uncovers a sparkling fucking diamond. The woman's like, fuck no, I can't have this shit. I can't have this shit. No. So that's fun. Um, Nancy decides to go take the picture that she's recovered to Henry and Helene. So they're driving up to the cabin. But there's somebody behind them. Um, and they go up and they run into basically some road work that was not marked off. And a person um, 
Like they get up, there's a bridge over a stream was down. Saw horses have been set up to warn motorists, but the, but there was no sign when they entered the road. Nancy's like, this is bad. So somebody pulls up behind him and is like, don't turn around, do exactly as I say. And Nancy's like, uh, and the person climbs into the rear seat of Nancy's open convertible. And I'm like, this seems avoidable, really, that, that you should maybe put the top up. It's fine. So she sees uh, the Judson, the male member of the Judson couple that was sitting in the backseat of the car. And he's like, it was clever of me to pick up your trail. Yes. And Nancy's like, okay, Scooby-Doo, it's fine. Um, anyway, he's got a pallet knife. And Nancy's like, of course you fucking do. So he like puts it up in the front seat. And he's like, I'm going to slash you with this if you don't listen to me. And George sets her jaw grimly. And Bess is like, I'm going to faint. And I'm like, all of these things, all these things at once. It's fine. So he tells Nancy to lead him to the Fontaines because, of course, they were leaving River Heights to go see the Fontaines. So Nancy's like, okay. So hilariously, like, Nancy's like, well, of course, I'm not going to fucking lead them there. But so she drives to the house of a sheriff's deputy. She's like, I hope he's home. And so when they pull up, they park in his driveway and he walks out of his house wearing his full uniform. And the guy in the backseat's like, fuck, and jumps out of the car. And Nancy's like, fuck, yeah, you are. So again... The fun thing, and they're like, we've been kidnapped, the guy in the in the back of the... Anyway, so he gets out, but the fun, the thing that happens, and again, I want to note this again, supposedly the Cedar Lake cabin is maybe about two hours away from River Heights. Um, Nancy leads the car to the house of a sheriff's deputy that she knows, and then she knows that the guy is apparently running in the direction of the cabin, and I'm like, honey, honey, if you were driving for 30 minutes, it's an hour and a half in a car, that other, like, calm down. Anyway... So she's nervous that somehow, based on all of this, that the Judsons are going to find the cabin. So so they get in there. They reach... Um, oh, they reach the place, and everything is locked up tight, and nobody's inside. And it, there's signs that maybe somebody searched the place. So they're worried that, that either he- Henry and Helene were threatened, and so they fled, or that they were kidnapped. Either one of those things happened, because it's like they left their stuff there. It seems odd. Nancy leaves a note. She doesn't hear from him. Oh, also, there is a phone in the place, but it's a party line, which Nancy's like, and I'm aware that it's a party line. And I'm like, because you and Ned have been exchanging sweet nothings and people have been like, y'all been banging over the phone line? Like, how do you... It's fine. It's fine. Anyway. So, yeah, they go back to the dancing school. They're still helping out with that. They're still um, checking out for... Oh, hilariously, then Nancy gets another phone call uh, that's like, did you put that ad in the paper? And she's like, um, yes, I did. Um, so he's like, it's about Centrovia. And Nancy's like, ooh, Centrovia, yes, yes, let's meet, let's meet, it's fine. He says his name is Anton Schmidt. He says he's an amateur artist and he wants to talk to Nancy. So, um, when she meets with him, she's like, do you know Joanne Koff? Because again, everybody in Centrovia is cousins. It's like the South... And he's like, oh, yes, he is my cousin. And Nancy's like, fuck yeah, bingo card filled. So he's like, oh, I've been out of touch with him for 10 years, which, again, like if the the occupation took place about eight years ago, that makes some sense. Um, he's like, oh, my God, little Anton. Um, he, Mr. Schmidt, has another portrait of Helen Fontaine, Helene Fontaine, who he, of course, knew because they're all, they're all weirdly related. I guess it's a tiny country. He's like, oh yeah, she looks very much like Madame Provac. And Nancy's like, because reasons, they're all, they are related. So there's that. So that's fun. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, 
it's so weird. Like I said, any any stranger in River Heights is involved in Nancy's case. It's fun. Um, apparently, a bunch of gems were stolen from the group which is handling the Centrovian underground movement. So it sounds like um, the jewels that that the Provac parents were asked to move got stolen and then are being smuggled out of the country by being put into the paintings. And so the, anyway, the thing is that the end of the book doesn't actually go into enough detail for you to understand what the fuck's going on, mostly because it doesn't matter. It's This is mostly about like Nancy discovering clues and everything. So we're not specifically interested in the details of the overthrowing of the country. It's like, and we're going to go back and, and hang out with us and this is never going to come up again. This is never going to be a thing that we're nervous about again. So, yeah. Good times. Good times. Um, weird. Okay, so Hannah, the next morning after they've been reuniting Centrovians, um, Nancy gets a telegram and it says, your help no longer needed. It's from, it's from Cliffwood. Um, Any continued interest in our case on your part will prove embarrassing to us and dangerous to you. Helene. And Nancy's like, ah, uh, hoax. <laughs> immediately the phone rings and nancy hears a weak frightened voice nancy is that you yes who this is helene please come right away too there was a scream and the sound of a crash as though the instrument had been torn from helene's grasp and the line went dead and nancy's like one of these is a lie and i'm thinking it's the telegram so um the telegram came from cliffwood so nancy's like mm, i'm gonna go over to cliffwood and see if i can find out anything about the person who sent this so George thinks all of it was staged. She thinks that um, that all of it sounds like it was. It's just all meant to draw Nancy off the path or something. Um, when she goes to check down the telegram, the person has no information about it. It was oh, the sender refused to give an address. It was paid in cash. It was a woman, kind of loud in her dress and speech. And Nancy's like, hey, I'm, I'm familiar with that witch. It's fine. So, um. Nancy goes to talk to her future mother-in-law. <laughs> like, legit, she goes. Um, then Ned calls, and he's like, hey, how about a late afternoon ride and dinner with me? And I'm like, I love all the euphemisms that you're using in there. Okay, it's fine. You need a rest from the Fontaine case. Nancy agreed to go. She put on her pink sports dress. I have so many questions. Is it a sporty dress? Is it a casual dress? Is it a shirt dress? Is it a piece of lingerie that we are calling a sports dress with a trench coat over it? I've got a lot of questions. Anyway, um, she agreed to help Mrs. Nickerson with some of the clerical work until Nut arrived. She's like, I'm going to wear like a full stockings and garters get up, but just understand that it's for your son. Uh, Nancy asks if they can go to Cliffwood. Um, she spots Mrs. Judson when they're on the way there going into a... She calls it hilariously a self-service grocery. And I'm like, what other sorts were, were there like, you just drive up and give some imperious orders to some sort of clerk and some groceries magically arrive, a delivery service possibly. Like, it's just weird to call it a self-service, I guess, because all of ours are self-service now, basically. Anyway, um, but she loses track of her in there because apparently it's pretty crowded. Um, they note that she gets on the train, so they follow her. Every time the train stops, they go into the station to see if she gets off, and then they get back on to see. Um, Nancy does actually find her that when the train stops in Brandon, and um, 
inside Mrs. Judson's handbag, Nancy sees the stolen ballet slippers. And so the stiff toes on them had been pulled apart. Nancy concluded that Mrs. Judson had been looking for something in them. Um, so a cop comes up and Nancy's like, arrest this woman. And Mrs. Judson's like, arrest her ass. She was harassing me. So they take them all to the, they take them all to the local police station. Um, Mrs. Judson's story is that Helene and Henry are the smugglers. Her husband is not involved. They're just trying to track them down there. They are the good people. They are good people. So anyway, she's like, my husband and I never stole anything, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Nancy immediately, hilariously, her eyes filled. Okay. Nancy's like her, this loud bitch is married to David Judson, who is also known as Raul Amien. Mrs. Judson sprang across the room toward Nancy. The police will never find him. I'll never tell where he is, she screamed. Her eyes filled with hatred for Nancy, whom she tried to claw, but was promptly stopped by Ned. Ned's like, people try to pimp slap my girl all the time. Try again. When the fracas was over, I adore that fracas was used. Ned said, Captain, I think you may know Nancy Drew by reputation. (laughs) Carson Drew, the inventor of toaster strudel. Um... Her father is Carson Drew, the lawyer in River Heights. Indeed, I do, the officer replied, because again, all, all bitches in this entire country are like, Carson Drew, all shit. And I've read about your exploits as a girl detective, Miss Drew. Again, how does she ever go fucking undercover? Constantly, constantly the newspapers are like, guess what Nancy Drew's done again? Anyway, so... So, based basically on the fact that they know who Nancy is, which, again, I do love that in later cases, like, people try to trade on Nancy's name because they know that she's got such wide brand recognition. Imagine her social media. Imagine it. Anyway, Nancy Drew endorses this car alarm. Um, anyway, so they're like, we will hold her and we'll keep looking for him. Hilariously. Hilariously. Oh, my God. Nancy's like, I think that a brother and sister have been kidnapped. Is there any building in the vicinity of this town where you think they might be held prisoners without arousing too much attention? I'm going to pause here. The cops are sitting here like, if I had some kidnapped victims, where could I take them? And they sit there and think about it. And the one of them's like, oh, yeah, there's an old farmhouse. I've got so many questions. So many, so many that the cops are like, yes, I do routinely consider if I were a kidnap victim, where would I possibly be held? Anyway, so they're like, yeah, recently somebody took over this old two-story farmhouse in the edge of town and Nancy's like, fuck yeah, let's go. So, um, when they went to the house, Nancy and Ned were stopped by a stooped, limping old man with white hair and a mustache, but bright, dark eyes. He had come from the barn. The man wore light blue trousers and a faded checkered sports jacket. Officer Donovan spoke to him, but apparently the man was stone deaf, or he shakily handed the officer a pencil and pad. Donovan wrote, who lives here? The man read the question, then penciled, my wife and me. Name is Brown. She is away. Sure, honey. The policeman said to Nancy and Ned, he must be dumb, too. I guess this is a false alarm. He seems to be all right. Let's go. Again, in these books, I would say it's the opposite of copaganda and that all the cops seem to be hilariously, ridiculously just too stupid to live incompetent. But anyway, um, Nancy made no comment as they headed back to police headquarters. But when she and Ned were lonely, young Slew said, let's go back to the farmhouse. That old man is not deaf. How did you find that out? Ned asked, amazed, because this is an Encyclopedia Brown mystery. Nancy smiled. Before we reached him, I saw the man turn his head when a dog barked in the distance. And I bet you think that old man stuff is fake, too, Ned said with a chuckle. Yes, I do. And he's not dumb. In that case, Ned went on. If he tries anything funny, I'll tackle him. Because Ned's answer to all problems is to tackle some asses. 
So Nancy and Ed return to the farmhouse and decide to wait to see if the old guy comes out again. And the person who emerges is not the old guy. as a person with very dark hair, slicked back, and a young man. But it's the same clothes. And so Nancy and Ed are like, cool, liar. Liar. So, but Nancy was hoping that this would be David Judson, and it's not. It's somebody that she's never seen before. So she knows they're probably involved, but she's not quite sure. Nancy and Ed go forward, and he's like, so you're not deaf and you're not old. What's going on? And he's like... You are detectives in a French accent that I'm not going to try to replicate again. And Nancy's like, amateurs. I love that she puts an S on the end because she's like, Ned is not just my side piece. He is also a client. Anyway, um, so he's like, come on inside. And Ned's like, we'll sit on the steps, bitch. <laughs> At once, Nancy knew he mistrusted the stranger. She wants to get inside to see if there's any clues. But Ned's like, we're not going fucking in there, okay? <laughs> anyway, so he's like... I've traced a couple that I think is involved in smuggling, and it's the Fontaines, and the next chapter is titled Ned's Ruse. Ruse is a word that honestly is mostly associated with Nancy Drew books for me, for these reasons. Anyway, um, so the person that they're talking to says that he's, uh, Henry and Helene were involved in the making of the paintings, etc. Um, he, all this stuff, and... Basically, it's a lot of stuff that goes along with her own case, but he's also kind of trying to say that uh, Renee, the art dealer, had no idea what was going on. So Nancy's like, so all of your information is circumstantial. Like, you just know that he painted the pictures. You don't know that he's involved in the smuggling. He's like, well, I I mean, I guess that's true. But the Fontaines disappeared, so it seems appropriate to suspect them. Um, And so French dude, who says that he is Renee... Mm. he says he's the art dealer he says i I have a hunch that you young people will solve this mystery for me and who do i have the honor working with what are your names before nancy could say anything ned gripped her arm and then asked renee did you ever hear with coleman's renee shook his head slowly nancy was puzzled by ned's ruse especially since she recalled that coleman was his middle name it's canon i mean i yeah i use it all the time Ned went on, I think we'd better be on our way, dear. We can contact Mr. Renee about it later if we learn anything about the Fontaines or his missing portraits. Half dragging and half urging her. I like that he's like, I need to get you away from this place because you're going to sneak in there if I let you. <laughs> Ned started off through the woods. They had not gone far when Nancy asked for an explanation of what he had done. I don't trust that guy, Ned replied. But what was the idea of giving him an impression like that? Impression like what? Ned asked in some surprise. Anyone who heard you would probably think we're husband and wife, especially an impressionable man like Renee. Ned laughed heartily. Well, someday I hope it'll be true. As for and, and for your information, I hope he'll think we're married now. If he's a spy or kidnapper, so I suspect he'd better not find out your name is Drew. Nancy agreed and said she did not trust Renee either. Again! Like, mm, I, Nancy doesn't protest. Nancy doesn't say anything, which, uh, I mean, you can read that either way. You can read that her, as her saying, like, I'm not going to do anything to upset Ned. Like, it's, it's fine with me. He thinks eventually we're going to be married. Like, I can get out of this later. But also the whole, like... It seems playful between the two of them. It's like, it also seems like a thing that he doesn't often necessarily do. Like, she she makes it sound like this is the first time he's ever done anything like that, which I love all parts of this. I love that Ned's like, we're married, and, and just stay the fuck away from her. And yes, I'm here for this. I'm here for all this. You know it. Anyway, so Nancy decides that she is... Um, Ned says that he's going to go back and watch the farmhouse. Nancy says that she's going to go get the police. So Ned is waiting there, but dude gets out of the farmhouse, goes to, and catches up with Nancy in the woods, gets her into 
Uh, she'd gotten to Ned's car by that point. She has the keys to Ned's car. He gets the keys to Ned's car away from Nancy, gets her into the car, gets the car away from there. Ned's, of course, meanwhile, waiting at the farmhouse. Um, when the guy gets back to the farmhouse and Ned's like, why are the police not here yet? Like Nancy said, she was going to come back with the police. Um, yeah. So the guy, when he comes back up to the farmhouse, he was like, oh, I was hoping I found you here. Your wife's had an accident down the road. I'm going to phone the police. And Ned is stunned, realizing the man means Nancy, which again, I'm, I'm here for all this shit. I'm here for all this shit. Fake married, fake married for 12 seconds. And I'm like, yes, you're hitting all the buttons. Um, Ned is, the guy runs into the farmhouse to say that he's going to call the police. And Ned's like, Ned wants to immediately run after Nancy. And he also wants to run inside and get more details about what's going on. So he just, he just runs toward where he left the car. Um, but it's not there. Then he sees another car pulling out from the farmhouse that has four people inside. And he doesn't know who's inside. He sees a blonde young man and a girl with dark hair in the back of the... I don't think they ever fucking explain who's in the car. Like, later they're like, no, that wasn't Henry and Helene. And you're like, but was it? But was it? But also, does it fucking matter? The answer is no. Anyway, Ned manages to go back to the farmhouse. Um gets inside, calls the police. He says, have you seen Nancy? They're like, no, they send out a police officer. Um, so the police officer escorts Ned to where he left his car. It's not there anymore. They follow the tar, the, they follow the tire tracks. They follow the tire tracks to a place where the car apparently pulled off the road. The car is not there anymore. They follow the tire tracks a little bit longer. And then they do find his car, which had been pulled off the road. Reaching the car, he... Oh, there's a part where um, Ned is like, oh my god, he's worried about what they're going to find inside the car, like Nancy's corpse. And he's like, oh my god, Nancy, Nancy, Ned cried frantically, and you're like, yes. Um, He ran ahead, stumbling now and then on the rough, broken ground, reaching the car. He yanked open the door. On the floor of the rear seat lay Nancy, bound and gagged. Quickly, Ned picked her up and removed the gag. Oh, Nancy, are you all right? He asked fearfully. Yes, Ned, she said in a daze. And you're like, yes. Y'all need some restorative sex. Just go somewhere, to a cabin, and just bang it out. It's fine. I'm going to catch Renee if this is the last thing I do, Ned vowed. I wish you would, Nancy said ruefully as she hobbled around to restore circulation to her arms and legs. I know some ways to restore circulation, she said laughingly. This is a fine end to my plan for that nice ride and dinner that we were going to have this evening, said Ned. I'm sorry, Ned, Nancy said. Ned, don't be a dick. She was just fucking kidnapped and put into the trunk of your car. Also, I do love that the cops are not like... Your girlfriend was found bagged, bound and gagged in the back of your car, and okay, honey, like, okay. Yeah, he's Ned. He, he couldn't have done this. That's fine. Okay, hilariously, Nancy and Ned go back up to the fucking farmhouse and loot the place. Like, they make themselves dinner. They just walk in there, and they're like, there's food here. I'm going to make myself some dinner. Um... They opened several cans of food they found on a shelf and warmed the contents, which, the meal, the simple, proved to be hearty. And so they're like, yeah, let's just compare notes. They go search everything. Nancy finds evidence that there was somebody dancing upstairs and that they, like, the tracks on the floor, the the way that the dust was disturbed. She's like, Helene was up here. I can tell because these were made by toe slippers. I've got a lot of follow-up questions. Did Helene just have a pair of toe slippers in her pocket? Um... If I were being kidnapped, I don't know that I necessarily would be like, I'm going to need to do some dancing. I don't know. Maybe some interpretive dance to get out some of my rage over being kidnapped. None of these things seem natural to me, but okay, it's fine. Maybe leave a note. Nancy, if you come here, here's who has us captive. It's fine. Anyway, 
So, uh, Mrs. Judson refuses to answer any questions, even though she's still in police custody. They don't find anything that's going to help. Um, it was nearly midnight when she and Ned reached River Heights, and I'm like, talk about a date. Anyway, um, because of the day's excitement, Nancy was very weary and slept late the following morning. As she awakened, the young sleuth found herself looking into the faces of Hannah Grew and Bess and George. The girls were neatly clad in white blouses and blue pedal pushers, and I'm like... I guess Bess and George woke up that morning, decided to coordinate their own outfits. They're like, we're going to be twinsies today in clothing. Well, sleepyhead, George said, seeing yourself on the edge of Nancy's four-poster, tell us everything. I love it. The girls listened intimidly, but both of them chuckled as Hannah brought breakfast in bed on a tray. The idle rich, George declared, and I'm like, finally, you were acknowledging the fact that Nancy is well above us in all possible ways. But if anyone deserves it, you certainly do. Hell Yeah. Look, Ned and I have had very acrobatic sex, and we played married at some people. And to preserve the ruse, we had to, of course, have sex. So, there was that. Anyway, it's fine. They go search the place. Okay. Okay. Uh, Oh, my God. Okay. Here's the thing. The farmhouse. Remember, they brought the cops out of the farmhouse. The farmhouse seemed to be deserted. They said that they were going to leave a police detective out there. (coughs) Um, Anyway. Nancy's like, there's a big, strong police detective who will protect us. Um, Nancy puts on jeans because she understands that when one is searching an abandoned farmhouse, jeans are possibly the way to go. Officer Donovan is there. Um, They go into the barn, and there doesn't seem to be anything in there. They go in the hayloft. They do find a briefcase that, remember earlier when Mr. Koff... And Mr. Koff was the guy on the plane, and he said they accidentally swapped briefcases with somebody. Well, they find Mr. Koff's briefcase, which has some stuff in it that looks like it's related to the Centrovian underground movement, etc. Letters between people, etc. There's a note that says, do not read the contents or you will die. That's ridiculous, George said in disgust. Nancy, you aren't going to let that stop you, are you? And I love that it's like, Scientology says that you are not ready for this OT level. This OT is, briefcase is full of secrets and Xenu. So you need to, you need to walk away or you will not, you will not survive. Anyway, um, there's an envelope that says, from Red Busby. Um, and Nancy's like, I think that's the red-haired man. That's, that's just the vibe I'm getting. That's, that's the name of the red-haired man. Hilariously, when they go into the house, they don't see Mr. Officer Donovan. And Bess is like, what a strong odor of kerosene. What would the police officer be doing with the kerosene? And Nancy shrugs because she's like, I want to check out the contents of this briefcase. I need to find out about Xenu so that I can stop the Scientology plot. I'm going to pause here. Fucking kerosene. First off, Bess knows what it smells like and is smelling it. And second is not like, maybe we should leave this rickety old, extremely flammable farmhouse. Okay. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Um, they find a note that mentions that code that they found under the postage stamp at the beginning of this thing. Um, and then they hear something in the hallway and it's Henry and Helene who are running into the farmhouse and Nancy and her friends are like, what, what the, what you were, you were kidnapped. What the fuck? What the fuck? We were spirited away. Helene replied. Um, so let's see. There's, they keep smelling kerosene and they're like, I'm sure that the police officer is just doing something involving kerosene. And I'm like, no part of that is comforting. No part of it. Anyway. Bess was like, again, she wonders what Officer Donovan is doing with his fucking kerosene. Maybe he's holding a wicker man thing outside. Like, who's to say? Anyway. Um, let's see. Helene and I were prisoners. Uh, we were first brought here by Red Busby and Duparc. And you're like, of course. Um, yeah. So, 
Helene, let's see, they were at another farmhouse. They were taken to another farmhouse. Um, not too far from here. Um, we managed to escape a little while ago and we found our guard had gone off duty and they called Nancy's house at once and then they have found out where Nancy was. So they ran over to their previous prison, the other farmhouse. Nancy was deeply touched by their loyalty. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no to all this. It's fine. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, they say, yeah, we were kidnapped and they were asking questions and there was some double crossing and people involved in the, there are like 45 Centrovians involved in this, half of whom are helping with the smuggling and half of whom are helping with the underground movement. And all the ones who Nancy has suspected so far have probably been bad. Mr. Koff is not bad. His daughter is not bad. Henry and Helene are good. Um, but everybody else seems to be dipshits. So like everybody who has looked at Nancy wrong. Yeah. All y'all, all y'all. Anyway. So that's what happens in the farmhouse. Like, they're going over all this. They're like, yes, he double-crossed him, and he got away from him, and then he sold some stuff. Smoke is seeping into the room, and you're like, who could have predicted this with kerosene everywhere? Just the place is festooned in kerosene. Um, the house is on fire. They're on the fucking second floor. Why are they on the... Shut up. Why are they on the second floor? The kerosene. The kerosene. Also, they spot Officer Donovan's prone body at the edge of the tree line, and they're like, well, he's not going to help us. The wires have been cut to the telephone. Uh, when they look outside, they see Renee and R Red Busby outside. Bess screams for help. The two men look up and sneer and then turn away, and Bess is like, fuck you. <laughs> I love that Bess called for help from the two villains who set the place on fucking fire. They can't run off and leave us, Nancy's like. They're going to fucking run off and leave us. So they decide that they're going to, of course, as one does in these situations, knot together some bed sheets and form a rope so that they can descend to the bottom stair. So, so that's what happens. Basically, um, as soon as they get out of there, Nancy has stuffed all the papers that she possibly can into her pockets from that briefcase. As soon as they get out of there, the entire place just collapses to the ground. Um, Bess is like, let's haul ass. They find the cop, um... A car pulls up. Bess is like, holy shit. And it's Ned, who is like, so y'all burn down a farmhouse. That seems about right. Ned, of course, had called Nancy's house to find out where he was, because at all moments, Ned is like, date? Question mark. So anyway, um, the Carson has cracked the code, and that long string of letters and numbers is the passport issued to Raul Amien. So that's fun. And apparently the gang was using that as a code to note that their communications were legitimate and not being interfered with by outside forces. But my thing is that um, at all points, y'all have been double crossing each other all all over the place. So I don't see what a passport number is going to do about that. But it's y'all do you. Y'all do you. It's fine. Uh, the police officer got slugged on the back of the head because he was like, I was trying to find the source of the kerosene smell. And you're like, as a reasonable person probably would have been trying to do at that point. Um, so Renee and Busby come out of the woods. Ned and Henry tackle their asses. The ensuing fight was of short duration. The officer comes and hit, hit, um, handcuffs them. They're whining. You don't know They burned down the time. Shut up. It's fine. So it's 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 all good. It's all good. Everybody got arrested. Everybody confessed to everything. I think that the actual show, the Senior Center show, I think that one actually did go off without a hitch. I think that Millie was actually able to participate. It's fun. But yeah, it's it's just a lot, a lot of threats and people just trying to find things, and it's just all bad. Um, 
Nancy was glad to, uh, this is the end of the book, Nancy was glad to escape for a short time to the Nickerson cabin on Cedar Lake. Hell yeah, you were, but, oh, mm, mm. Here the Fontaines, Mr. Coff and Millie, Best George and Ned held a private celebration of their own. And I'm like, I love the word private being held here. I love it. Also, their cabin is cramming like 20 people in there. At the party, Nancy found herself wondering when another mystery would come along. She had no way of knowing that within a very short time, she would be involved in the witch tree symbol. I love it. Um, Henry and Helene are like, you saved our lives. Um, Bess is like, do you think you're ever going to go back to Centrovia? Because Bess, I don't know that Bess has been the most xenophobic of everybody in this book, but she's been fucking close. And they're like, yeah, we'd like to go back to visit after peace is restored, but we would like to become citizens of your grand country until then. Uh, Henry is saying that he is going to finish Nancy's portrait because, of course, you know, kidnapping interfered with those plans. And Ned's like, it should be titled America's Loveliest Sleuth. And you're like, cute note to end on. Also, you, you know that you're trying to get into her pants. So, okay. Important things to note from this book. You know them. You know them already. First off, that Nancy and Ned were basically mistaken for an engaged couple and said nothing about it. And then later on in the book, Ned's like, let's just pretend that we're married for like 12 seconds. And Nancy's like, I mean, okay. Like, I'm doing excited Muppet face. Just picture it. But like, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. The the central mystery here is just fucking bonkers as shit. Like, let's just acknowledge that. It's just a bunch of people who we're going to be, like, they blend in, they look white, but they're also apparently loud and flashy and also trying to overthrow some governments. Slash, I guess, continue to overthrow some governments. I mean, if you want to say that after you've ripped the mask off that capitalism was a villain all along, you would not be wrong here. Because I would say that, yeah, it does seem very likely that the whole thing was oh, we're going to take the opportunity to steal some gems that are meant for the Centrovian underground movement. Like, it's just... It's just exhausting. So much kidnapping and Nancy being thrown into the backseat of Ned's car. Like, at this point, you would think that she would have formed some sort of escape hatch or maybe put a radio back there. Put something under the floor mats so that if ever you are kidnapped and put into the back of Ned's car that you can just immediately call the police. Like, just saying... It's fine. So, yes. So, yeah, that's what happens in the 1950s and Nancy Drew books is just a lot of, a lot of, a lot of. Also, if you're going to take any lesson from this book, please let it be this. If you smell fucking kerosene, get the fuck out. Find the source. Be careful. Maybe wear a helmet. But get the fuck out. Like, what the fuck? You're in an old, decrepit, like fire hazardy farmhouse why the fuck would you stay in it's probably even got like little chemical symbols on the outside of it like this place will fucking blow there's a there's a film developing thing in the basement it's just all bad it's just all bad anyway so yeah so that's where we're at for this one um i think which tree symbol if i'm not mistaken there's some fun amish stuff happening in that one so i think that we probably will do that one for next one um if we're going through the original 56, which there's some ones later that are just bonkers as shit, but it's fine. So yeah, we probably will hit up Witch Tree Symbol for next time. I will flip through it and see if Ned makes an appearance. I feel like there's some stuff that's, there's some shenanigans on an Amish buggy, but maybe that's just my wishful thinking. So in the meantime, as always, keep an eye out for L. Ron Hubbard, who at any point, maybe like Jean Parmesan, wearing a captain's hat, pretending that he does not have ill interest for you. And stay sleuthy, my friends.